0: Hello, and thanks for joining us. My name's Ian Stroud. And my name's David Malone, and this is
1: Hyperland. So, Ian, because of Israel and Gaza, suddenly Ukraine's dropped away, and I thought, well, OK, well, maybe now's a good time to talk about Ukraine because all of the
0: self-appointed experts are sort of no longer paying attention. So, yeah. Can- I mean, it was interesting because I had a friend... Come and stay for a few days. And he sort of said, oh, I've not heard anything about Ukraine in weeks. And I went, well, I have every date. Um, yeah. I go and look for it, sadly. And I I, well, you, you visited Ukraine, didn't you? You've been there. I never have been. I stayed about a week in Yalta, the and then I went down to Sevastopol. Uh, when was 2012. this? 2012. So it was two years. Two, it was 2014. Putin annexed the Crimea. Yeah. I went there because there's so much... History there. Um, yeah. You had the Yalta Conference in 1945 with Roosevelt, Churchill, Stalin sitting around dividing up what was left. Um, yeah, and then I think it's Chekhov lived there. Oh, right. Okay, I, did, I didn't know. All and right. his house is there. Um, well, and then you also had charge of the Light Brigade. You had Sevastopol, which was sort of up and coming, sort of quite. I thought at the time it it felt as if there was quite a European influence in... There has been, yeah, yeah. I mean, and of course you've got the the Russian sea fleet. Well, that's, that's, I think, an important point, yeah. I mean, it's a large part of Russia's nuclear fleet. But the other interesting thing that I found when I went there, people spoke Russian in Crimea. Yeah. They didn't speak Ukrainian. Well, I mean, for me, I wanted to talk about it because I...
1: I think the analysis, if one can do violence to the word analysis, mm. of what we're being offered by most of the pundits and, and the, the main media outlets, just seems to be extremely one-sided, narrow, and self-serving. It's rare that you read something which seems to take a step back from advertising right at the start that Putin's a terrible man and Russia just needs to be contained and the poor ukrainians as if that was it i mean those those things are true but you know the great mistake is not being misled and coming up with the wrong idea the huge problem is thinking that part of the answer is the whole answer and that's what bothers me i i just you know it's partly just where do you start your analysis because where you start it will largely dictate the outcome you know like to make a silly version, I, if you started an analysis of World War II on D-Day, <laughs> ridiculous as it sounds, but the analysis would go, here we were on the continent, us Germans and our French friends and our Dutch and Belgian friends, and we were largely you know, delivering the milk, the trains were running on time. We'll gloss over all the unpleasant things that we were doing, but there we were, largely in a state of peace. All right. And then, out of the clear blue sky, America and American troops and England, neither of which have a reason to be on the continent, come yeah. sailing across the Channel, armed to the teeth, and stop shelling the shit out of us. <laughs> uh, how unfair is that? Well, you know, they invaded us. Yeah. yeah Obviously, yeah. it's a ridiculous scenario because you only need to wind back a few months, let alone a few years, yeah. and the whole story looks different. But I have to... You can't, I can't get around the fact that that's that stupid way of framing it is largely what's going on in most discussions that I've read about the Ukraine. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a huge backstory. You only need to go back, say, 2008 to, to suddenly
0: get a much fuller picture. Well, I, I'd sort of say just going back to 2014 because a lot of people, even in the news today, don't take it back that far
1: yeah well i mean okay I mean, look let, let, i mean i want to go back a bit further but even if we start in 2014 2014 in the headlines would have been about donbass separatists these yes. are ethnic russians yes yeah, yeah. who had decided that they wanted to be separate yeah. from ukraine because in the donbass for stalinist historical reasons there was a huge number I'm not even sure if it might have been... It was at least a large minority in the Donbass. It might even be a majority. Yeah. They were Russian, ethnic Russian um, people living there. Yeah. Uh, you can say, well, they were moved in by a terrible dictator called Stalin. They could just bloody well move right back out again. they got no business being there.
0: Are we talking about yeah. Crimea? Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, you, so you, you can go further and, back you know, and you've, you've got... got longer. Yeah, you, get Turks, you got the Turks, you've got the Greeks, you've got, you know, um, yeah. there's some wonderful... Um, Greek remains on the coast. Yeah.
1: but I mean, just talking you know, before we go back to ancient history, the Donbass, there were lots of Russians, and in 2014, they said, we want to be separate. Yeah. Okay, much like, uh, let me see. Uh, uh, no. uh, yeah, okay, you can see where I could go with this. We've got lots of separatist, two different separatist groups in Spain who say, well, we're just different from you lot. We yeah. want to be separate. Yeah. And uh, some of those groups... We go, oh, yeah, yeah, they should be separate. And and in 2014, there were soldiers being sent off from Kiev to fight the Donbass separatists. Yeah. And at that time, the papers were also quite full of how some of the armed parts of the Ukraine military were proper out and out, card-carrying. Hitler was a great person. It was quite right to gash the Jews, fascists. Yeah. They were there. Yeah. There were two brigades of them, and you know there were telegrams sent to the U.S. State Department saying as much, saying these are really dodgy people. Yeah. So that's even if you go back to two thousand fourteen. But I would say you've got to go back further. Go back to, to two thousand eight. Two thousand eight, it's declared by the Americans and NATO, Ukraine is going to be part of NATO. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that was a, and you know at the time. Angela Merkel, the head of Germany at the time, yeah, she said, and this is a quote: "I was very sure that Putin was not going to just let that happen. From his perspective, that would be a declaration of war." That's Angela Merkel saying that. And you know, um, the the U.S. ambassador in Moscow in April 2008, he wrote to Condoleezza Rice, who was then Secretary of State, and he wrote. Ukrainian entry into NATO is the brightest of all red lines for the Russian elite, brackets, not just Putin, close brackets. In more than two and a half years of conversations, that's the US ambassador saying this with key Russian players, I've yet to find anyone who views Ukraine in NATO as anything other than a direct challenge to Russian interests. Yeah, yeah. So everyone was aware that this is a really provocative thing. And you know it's essentially you know, the America has its Monroe Doctrine, which says that that no distant great power is allowed to station military forces in America's backyard. You know, so when Russia tried it in Cuba, we came close to a nuclear war. yeah, um, when we talked about this in the um, the Chile um, thing. You know, when it looked like a left-wing socialist government under Allende was going to run to power, yeah, they were very clear: we we're not going to well allow this to happen. This is America's backyard. This is our national interest, and so they overthrew him. Yeah, simple so as that. When you have a left-wing government in Venezuela, same thing: economic warfare, sanctions, got to get rid of him. Um, when you had Sandinistas in Nicaragua, um, so um, America very clear that. Any incursion of, a, of an ideology in its backyard, even something as far away as bloody Chile, which is in the southern hemisphere, uh-huh. and they feel quite within their rights to go. No, nope. not only does this other great foreign power not have a right, but even the self determination of the people of that country, we feel morally that we're 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 empowered to just overthrow it. Uh-huh. And then they think, yeah, right on Russia's border, let's make this power, a member of NATO, and they included it in all of the military games. I mean, they couldn't have got any clearer about the fact they were now going to make Ukraine part of NATO, arm it with NATO weapons, have it in a mutual pact, and it's right there. Yeah, I mean, it's a historical fact that Putin then spent several years, this dreadful Putin man, who, you know, they've got this notion that Putin wants to take over the world, yeah you mm-hmm. invade every country. There's no evidence for this apart from what happened in Ukraine and yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know he did try various diplomatic means. they're all turned down, and the clearest one was um Russia sent letters on the seventeenth of december twenty twenty one sent a letter to President Biden and another copy of it to nato um and it said, mm-hmm. would the, the America and NATO give a written undertaking?' that Ukraine would not join NATO and instead be a neutral state. Just make it a neutral state. And if you say Ukraine is going to be a neutral state like Switzerland, we'll sign up to it as well. So he's making, it's on record that he was trying diplomatic means. Yeah. And then Anthony Blinken, who was the Secretary of State, just wrote back saying, there's no change. There will be no change.
0: Yeah.
1: In other words, sod off.
0: Yeah.
1: And Putin invades.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Putin also sort of said he wouldn't invade. So, what Putin says and what Putin does, <laughs> different yeah, things.
1: And I'm not going to defend Putin, but he no. said I don't. I'm not going to invade. But then, there's when he when he offer when he seeks some kind of compromise and gets a yes,
0: yes, So'd yes. Off. yeah, 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 yeah. And then is, yes. is it is it completely
1: in a realpolitik way unreasonable for him to go okay? then that doesn't leave me with any
0: other choices. Answer.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. his alternative is to just roll over yeah. and say, sure, I have an armed NATO ally right on my border. And as I've said, there's a long history of America feeling that it's perfectly fine for them to have armed intervention yeah. when something like that is isn't as far away as Chile. Yeah, yeah. So there's a. this is not to say... Oh so Putin's a lovely man. I'm not saying that. I'm no, just saying no, I, 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 that our analysis completely leaves out and whitewashes all the evidence which helped you to understand why Putin did what he did. And I, instead I, what substituted for it is oh, he's just a he's just a megalomaniac who wants yeah. to invade everywhere. Yeah. Which is just not I mean in 2008 when they did that, they didn't need to contain a militarily strong um, aggressive Russia. In 2008, Russia was on its knees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't yeah. need to do that at all. Yeah. So it's a, it's an unprovoked, provocative, it, it just looks like to me that we wanted a war in Ukraine. That we, that there's a big bear which wasn't feeling very well and we did everything we could. We poked it with as many sharp sticks <laughs> as we could <laughs> and then when it said, you know what, fuck you. I'm coming I'm, I'm, up. Oh, this terrible, this terrible aggressive bear.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm part of the way with you. Um, I don't think the West is probably a better description in terms of what's happened, as opposed to just pointing the finger at the United States. I think it's it's, but this is one of the, the reasons that I'm kind of I, I'm unsure about talking about it because actually you need to go back. Funnily, I mentioned the Yalta Conference. 1945 Mm -hmm. part of what putin was sort of saying was and there's there's an argument over the not one inch further east Mm -hmm. nato go and there are people that claim that that was promised and there's other people and there was documents that came out about whether this had been part of the promise and if it had been a promise then certainly it has moved east Um, but then then I've heard other people describe it and there was no explicit promise. So, I mean, maybe there was
1: a promise where the, I think it's really interesting that one could delve into that. And from from a a Russian diplomatic point of view, that would be important. But even if there was no promise, moving NATO right up into Ukraine, is that making Europe safer? No. Was it making the Ukrainian people safer? Well, there would certainly be an argument that that side would make, but the evidence on the ground
0: is it has killed a lot of Ukrainians, actually. But then what we know now in terms of the history between Russia and Georgia, for example, you'd sort of say, well, they were pretty aggressive there. I'm not, I I don't want to just point the finger at the West and go, they're terrible and hypocritical because look at all the wars they've been involved in. When, When does it start? When do we draw a line and sort of say, right, okay, let's tell the story from, well, let's tell the story from today. I mean, how does it end?
1: Um, and and, and I, say, I, I mean, I personally think it will end the way it was always going to end, which is with Ukraine divided. I, I think what, as soon as the, the aggression started, I thought, okay, all the major players have something to gain by having a new Cold War and, and a country... With an iron curtain through the middle of it, yeah, because it means that all of the arms people in in Russia and all of the arms people in the west can the 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 money train will start running again and we need tanks and we need missiles and we need we need military bases and from a capital point of view, that's just good news, yeah, everybody's happy with that i mean the 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 defense industry took a real hit when the when the the wall came down <laughs> Well, I mean, it it sounds it sounds callous to say it, but it is the it is the fact of the matter. And so, all of those people would be thrilled to have a new a, a new Cold War and a new Iron Curtain. And it seemed to me that that's what would be the end game. Um, and I and I think it's it is where it will end. I, th- I think there's already been all kinds of noises made and kites flown about. Oh, we will have to. Um, have a diplomatic settlement with Russia and we have to tell the Ukrainians they can't have everything back. And I think that is what will happen and Zelensky will be thrown under the bus if he's not. If so. I mean, we, we've not been, neither Russia nor Europe nor America have been at all worried about helping there be regime changes in mm-hmm. Ukraine, the three or four where, you know, uh, someone who was elected president then gets ousted and yeah. you, you you, can see it, you know, um, with Tymoshenko, you can see it with Yanukovych. I mean, depending on who they offended, they weren't long in power. And I think it, the same way, in part because I just cannot see Russia ever agreeing to give up the home base of its nuclear fleet. Well, it's
0: moved a lot of it, to be fair. Yeah, it has. Um, I think but a lot not of it... having a base... Sochi, um, but, south of Sochi, I think they've moved... Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they don't, they, they don't want to be blockaded in. Yeah. And
1: maybe, maybe Russia will back down, but I, I wouldn't take that bet at the moment. And
0: yeah, I, I, it's, it's, it's a, Yeah, that's why I wasn't it, into to. <laughs> but I, I don't know why you're not keen.
1: Just because we can't come up with an answer doesn't mean that we shouldn't discuss it. I mean. If yeah. if there's if a discussion has an easy answer, that's the discussion you don't want to bother with. Yeah, it's boring. Yeah, yeah. What <laughs> the, the interesting discussions are the ones which are complicated. And what bothers me is when what's offered to us is a moronically dumbed down, self-serving analysis, and yeah. that's fed to us every day. Yeah, and 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 that bothers the hell out of me. That becomes more. I want to
0: have the complicated analysis where it's not clear. Yeah, because that's the world. Yeah, the information's out there, but you need to go and look for it, as opposed to any of the big uh, media platforms actually spelling it out for you. I thought Reuters did quite a good job explaining the history of um, Palestine and Israel, and you, you can reflect the same narrative sidings there.
1: Oh God, yes. Well, I mean, yes, you're right. The same complications of who was where first and who did what to whom and when do you start the analysis? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I agree. But, but I'm on come on. Can we just be shot for, for, for one political faux pas at a time here? Yeah. Um, I mean, we're going to pick enough people angry talking about Ukraine in ways that haven't been sanctioned by the, um, the, the powers that be without also getting into that. I mean, we can yeah. do it later if you're really feeling suicidal. But do we have to do it right
0: now? Can we just get shot for one crime at a time? Do you mind? Well, oh, okay. In terms of Putin, <laughs> I would sort of say there's been different ways of of looking at it. I think the people that that are supportive of Putin and the Kremlin and what's happening there are supportive because they've been fed the same bullshit that we get fed. But just yeah, that's... no, I'm not supportive of Putin. I'm no, not su- no. I, just because I don't accept
1: the standard Western narrative doesn't mean that I go, oh, so then I accept. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of rhetorical ploy. It's, just, it's yeah. just stupid, and I refuse to be part of it. And I, I think that the Russian media, state media, is feeding the Russians nonsense, and I think our versions of state media are feeding us nonsense here. Yeah. And I don't feel like I have to choose between one lot of nonsense and another. I prefer to try and find my own analysis, and even... It, and and it will be less conclusive and less clear cut, but that is actually a reality. Okay, well, uh, you sent me some clips. First. I did, I did. did, and and the 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 reason the reason for it is there is, I think you can see that there's a long-standing American foreign policy view, yeah, which was there in the Cold War, and when I listened to it, it, I think to myself. I can hear that it's the same. That I get the strong feeling those same sentiments are alive and well and being applied to Russia yeah. in, in, now. And also, it raises the when we talk about you know, when did the war start? The shooting war started recently, but the economic war has been going on for a while. Right, and, and
0: I think that needs to be well. That's that seen. that you could you could put the argument of the not an inch further east, uh, along yeah. with. Uh, a financial war to to better understand maybe, yeah.
1: Okay, um, so look, um, I I, I, th- I think you managed to get hold of them. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, these are from a film called First Strike. So it's it was a it was a documentary about mutual assured destruction and the whole business of the you
2: know
1: nuclear nuclear deterrent. So the first clip I think is a man called Paul Nitzer, N I T Z E, yeah, who what the representative of the Secretary of Defense to the SALT Treaty. The SALT was one of the big disarmament treaties, and he was in that position 1969 to 1974. And he's talking about the Soviets and what he thinks they're after. The reason it's important that they not have in their mind that they might succeed in such an attack has to do with what their ambitions are, what is it that they really would like to achieve. They would like to separate the United States from its European allies. They would like to neutralize and circle communist China. They would like to
2: expand their influence and get to a position of control over the Persian Gulf. If they control the Persian Gulf, then they can dictate where the energy supplies of the Persian Gulf go. That will support their policy of dividing European NATO
1: from the United States. Okay. He's talking about the Soviets, but the same analysis is going to be true for Russia. And they're saying they want to control the Persian Gulf. Okay. For Persian Gulf, read energy supplies to Europe. Yeah. Okay. So now that has morphed into Russia exporting gas to Europe, which the Americans have always hated because Mm -hmm. they think this is a clear way of separating NATO and the European allies, from America. Yeah. Um, and that was really clear. And, and and they're right to some extent, because you know, once the end of the Nord Stream, you know, with the big pipeline that ran under the Baltic, yeah. um, ended in Germany, this did pivot German foreign policy towards Russia, because yeah. Germany, and Austria in particular, uh, really relied on that gas. Didn't Trump not raise this? He did, yeah. I mean, the reliance. You for... are determined to get us shot by everyone. <laughs> All right, look, Trump is another. Is is an idiot, but even the idiots, <laughs> like broken it. clocks, tell get something right once a day. Yeah, yeah. By accident, twice a day, mate. Twice a day. Twice a day. I we're twice. War right? Well, this is
0: a twenty-four hour clock. Yeah. Okay.
1: <sighs> Bloody hell. Um. So, the Americans have always been very, very nervous of Russia. Having any influence on Europe, and yeah. and there he's actually talking about Persian Gulf, about energy supplies, and that's exactly what the Nord Stream. There was Nord Stream One. They talked it was, about Nord Stream Two. Yeah, just, Russia. Look, America have never made any bones. They wanted this thing stopped. Right. They, yeah. they they tried all kinds of sanctions, and then there was the South Stream, which was supposed to run, out of the Caspian Basin. Guess where it would go? Part of it would go through through um, Syria. And this is why I've always felt that the war in Ukraine and the war in
0: Syria—one
1: uh, of them goes
0: across Ukraine as well, doesn't it? There isn't.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's why I've always felt that the war in Ukraine and the war in Syria <laughs> were the same thing. They were just the two different fronts: the north-south, the north front and the south front of the Great Gas War, which you know, I think we're involved in. Right. Um, you know, and then, and then, do you remember the um, the pipeline, the Nord Stream
0: gets blown up. Yeah, that was the uh, Nord Stream Two was just. I don't think it ever properly got used, did it? No. It, was, it kind no. of got... But silent. they blew up the Nord Stream 1, 1 thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and at the time, immediately, immediately, uh, it was the Russians blew it up. Yeah. Why Russians would blow up its own pipeline always seemed slightly obscure to me, but everyone was certain.
0: And this time. was this was off the coast of Denmark, wasn't
1: it? Yeah, because, you know, Guardian was certain, the New York Times were certain, everyone was certain. And of course, then you had... Um, the the great American um, investigative journalist who was involved in um, Watergate and who made the big piece saying, actually, I think maybe the Russians were not the perpetrators of this. I think it might have been the Americans. And everyone said, everyone suddenly poo-pooed this great American journalist yeah. as if, you know, bah, oh, he's an idiot. I mean, he hadn't been an idiot for the previous 40 years, but suddenly he was an idiot. yeah But then, of course, it's come out then I mean, I'm just looking at something from um, the New York intelligence show, and there's a whole bunch of them, New York Times even, um, and they're saying, actually, now the US was informed three months before the bombing by European intelligence services that Ukraine had planned to use a small team of divers to conduct a covert attack against the Nord Stream, according to US intelligence and documents Yeah, uh, And the Wall Street Journal said the CIA had been tipped off about the plan by the Dutch military intelligence. Um, And the U.S. had actually warned Ukraine not to target the pipelines. It's a replay of when the elements in Chile wanted to get rid of Allende and the CIA said, no, we don't think that's a good idea. And then they went ahead and tried it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so it it, it does now look like there's so much, there's a whole story. It's Herschel, Herschel Walker, I think. Isn't that right? His name Herschel? Seymour Hersch? Seymour Hersch, thank you, yeah. Uh, You know, now the Wall Street Journal saying, yeah, German investigators have looked at it and they say that actually that there was a, it looks like a Ukrainian sabotage team that was operating out of Poland. And my guess is that this would have been an American uh, technology, the technology behind it and maybe special forces but, you know, when you deploy your special forces, you don't you don't advertise the fact. No. You need a cutout, you need them to look like they were somebody else. That's that's how it works. That's how you know, I've talked to people in the SAS yeah. and they're clear. You know, when the SAS go in, they never go in because a few months before those soldiers are going to be used, they're always um they leave the regiment. Uh, so that someone stand up in Parliament and say, No, no, we've got no special forces and then hey Preston, a little while later those same soldiers reappear on the roster. Yeah. So that's how it works. So there's now lots of evidence which suggests, yeah, this was a Western
0: thing to blow up the Nord Stream. America's certainly supplying a lot more fuel.
1: Yeah. Well the the America I mean, the America has its fracking industry, which for a while was on its knees. Yeah. And whether, you know, so it certainly wanted to help its own fracking industry, but even without that, America's view is it's a terrible thing for Russia. To be supplying vital gas to Europe mm-hmm. um because it gives them uh political leverage on Europe. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that and a real I can see the real the, the real politic argument about that. But from a moral point of view, from a sort of we're right and they're terrible people point of view, it it's a non-starter because all they're saying is, Oh, we don't want Russia to have influence. We want you to be dependent on American gas, so we've got influence. <laughs> uh, oh, come on. Yeah. You know, so if it 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 can't be a terrible moral thing for Russia to be gaining some political influence by supplying gas, if Americans think it's perfectly morally fine for them to supply gas and have yeah. political influence. Yeah, and I just want there to be clearer, less blinkered and self-serving analysis, because otherwise, how should the rest of us make any sense of it? Yeah, and 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 decide for ourselves. And I refuse to be corralled like some kind of sheep. Yeah. Into <laughs> a stupid point of view. No, I, I just resent that. Can you play the second clip? Yeah, um, sure. Which is from the same film, this is this is James Schlesinger, who was the Secretary of Defense under Nixon from 73 to 75, Nixon and Ford therefore. Um, and he's in the same film talking about the same thing This sort of the, the American's view of Soviet foreign policy and their own foreign policy.
2: The rest of the world has recognized that since 1945 the balance of power has been maintained by the United States. None of our allies, the former great powers like Britain, Germany, are in a position to do that. Only the United States has the power to serve as a counterweight to the Soviet Union. And as our military capacity has flagged, and more importantly, as we have been perceived to be vacillating on foreign policy issues, our allies and the third world nations have begun to make adjustments in their position. They have begun to consider accommodations with the Soviet Union. And as a consequence, our position worldwide can deteriorate rapidly, even in the absence of an attack on the United States directly.
1: Okay. there you go. So there's the Secretary of State um, for Defence mm. saying that we've we've been seen to be vacillating, and the consequence of this is our even our allies, let alone just other states, are beginning to think. Well, maybe we should deal with the the Soviets. So so just apply the same logic. And my 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 suspicion is that same logic. And things haven't changed in Washington and the corridors of power and Pentagon that they're saying, yeah, we can't be seen to be vacillating about allowing Russia to get power, have influence on European states, and we need to take decisive action, because unless we do, um, our power will decline, even without there being a necessary attack. So I I think that begins to explain why America has waged economic warfare on Russia. So set aside Mr. Putin. Let's let's, let's, just imagine that it was someone lovely, just so that we don't have this kind of, oh, but it was Mr. Putin. Let's just take the point of view of of Russian citizens who work in Russian gas companies and the owners of the Russian gas companies. And there they are in allegedly a free market, working hard every day, extracting gas, putting it in a pipeline and saying to the rest of the world, we've got gas. Do you need gas? Great. Would you like to buy some of our gas? And you go sell it. And and that's what they were doing. This is, yeah. and I don't see that that's some kind of we're trying to take over the world. No, according to the doctrine of free trade, that was an actor in the free market yeah. offering goods and services, which to people who wanted it, and then saying, "Great, here you go. We'll sell it to you." Yeah. And what America made very clear is that they wanted to sh- stop that. They tried everything they could to try and get other countries especially European countries, to not buy that gas, to put sanctions on. Uh, they opposed the Nord Stream. They bitterly opposed um, Nord Stream 2. And from my point of view, they started two wars just to cut those pipelines, uh, one in Ukraine and one in Syria. Yeah. Because the, the, the coincidence of timing seems at least something you should take note of. And if you're, if you're Russia just Russian citizens, yeah. aren't you going to feel like we're just trying to make a living here, selling our resources on the world, and this other country is stopping us? It's, yeah. it's, it, they, they're not dropping bonds on us, but they're making it so that I'll lose my job and I'll lose my income, yeah. and my my family will be poor because I'm just trying to sell gas and they don't like it. But instead of going in the free market, well, we'll sell our gas cheaper, or you know, our gas is red, white, and blue and sings a little song for you, yeah, um, they just go, no, we're just going to try all kinds of bullying tactics to stop you being an actor in the free market.
0: Is that not economic warfare? Is it it is, it? it it is, but I I I then ask myself, well, why did Putin come out and sort of say we're denazifying Ukraine? Why did Putin come out and sort of say, You promised not another inch east? Why didn't he just come out and sort of say what you've just said?
1: I don't know. I mean, maybe he did in the corridors of power. Yeah, I have yeah. no idea. Yeah. I mean, I have to say, even if he did say that, I really doubt that NBC,
0: CBS, The Guardian, and the New York Times. Well, would no, ever... no, yeah, it doesn't matter about them, and it, it matters more to the Russian people. Yeah. I well, mean, I don't know. That—that's that, uh, what I think was the narrative that they were being told. Yeah. Well, um, well maybe. But again. You know I, I might be wrong no I... yeah, no but even if that i'm
1: perfectly willing to to um to imagine that putin was as stupid as our leaders and said yeah the way i can rally my people is by giving them some narrative that shows that you know those dastardly people in the west made a promise when we had saved them from the nazis yeah and laid down you know, millions of our lives. What was it? Russia lost twenty-one million
0: people or something. Yeah, but well, when you say Russia, that includes Ukraine.
1: He, yeah. Okay. You know, so a you, you, Soviet Union and so yes, yeah, Stalin and what I can imagine that he might have decided that that was a good tactic. That you know, he, I did, never said he wasn't anything other than stupid. Who? Who? Who?
0: who told him.
1: <laughs> Sorry. So I, I. Yeah. Maybe that is, but but I'm not quite sure why you think that's important. I mean, so what? Where did? Sorry, you know, so he so he didn't point out that there was economic warfare
0: being waged, but there still was. No, I, I'm, that's not the point that I'm trying to make. The point I'm trying to make is why did he, he go with the denazification and well, why did and NATO said that they wouldn't, and we are being threatened now because the the border with NATO's becoming closer and closer, and and then the argument is yeah, and NATO doesn't go out and recruit countries, countries yeah. are asking to join, so. Sure. There's, there's I, I agree with you. Um, I think there's a lot that hasn't been said behind the scenes. In terms of countries wanting to join NATO, you
1: can say the argument: why shouldn't country that wants to join NATO join? Well, fair enough. Yeah. But on a real politique you just go back to. Why wasn't it okay for Cuba to say, well, we'd like some Russian missiles from Cuba. It makes us feel safer. Yeah, totally. But everyone's But Everyone goes, oh, don't be ridiculous. You know, that's just not realpolitik. Imagine the threat to America. Yeah. But we're not willing to do make the same kind of real-world analysis when it comes to Ukraine. That I I totally agree with you. Okay. Well, look, can we play the third clip? Yes. I, I, I mean, none of these are, you know, they're, they're not really changing the argument. I just think they're really interesting yeah. to peer back into history. So this one... It's from a film from 1984. It was done by Lionheart Films, yeah, um, and it was called Countdown to Looking Glass. Looking Glass was the code name for uh, an all-out American strike, and this is a fictitious, a presidential address. So these are words written by a Hollywood scriptwriter in 1984. This was, um, so it's probably written and filmed a couple of years before. Yeah, so. These were words that an American scriptwriter thought would sound noble and morally correct to an American audience if these words were, in the film, coming out the mouth of a fictitious American president. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. My fellow Americans, our country is faced today with a serious challenge. We have been asked, as a people, to make a decision so important that how the world evolves, the course it takes for the next century, will almost surely depend on what we decide. As your president, and with the valued counsel of the leaders of the Congress, the National Security Council, and the members of my cabinet,
2: I have made that decision.
1: My decision is to make it absolutely clear to those who would impose unreasonable and crippling restrictions on vital commerce that such restrictions are unacceptable. Okay, so that is the speech which the scriptwriters put into the mouth of a president when, in the film, the Soviet Union has put... Unreasonable and crippling restrictions on vital commerce. Yeah, and and in 1984, the scriptwriters felt that it would be a story Americans would would understand that the Soviet Union tries to say to America, No, you can't do that economically. We're going to prevent you. We're going to yeah economically cripple you. And in the context of the film, the American president says, Okay, we're going to start World War Three. Yeah, yeah this would seem to be a tragic but understandable escalation. Okay, surely that's what the economic warfare America has been waging against Russia was the imposition of unreasonable and crippling restrictions on vital commerce, i.e. gas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was one of Russia's major sources of foreign currency. Now, you either have to say, we just think Russia and the Russian people and Russia under under its present leadership is so heinous that they're not allowed to make a living and that that's a morally right thing to do and we'll just starve them out. We'll prevent them being part of the global economy. And if you're not willing to say that, then what the hell were you doing? Yeah. And according to that film, if, there, if Russia had been doing that to America, then the scriptwriters at least thought it would be morally understandable for a Russian person to say, right, I'm pressing the big button. They can't see that a Russian leader, even a, even a horrible one like Putin, might not feel the same way about the imposition of unreasonable crit- um, and crippling restrictions. That's what the American foreign policy has been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I agree with you that it is a really complicated situation, but you're not going to get any clarity if you just listen to the idiotic one-sided nonsense that's been portrayed in our newspapers. And I, 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 I
0: clearly don't. Um,
1: oh, no, no, you don't. But, yeah. but, but, the, but they continue to write this. I mean, it's been so appalling, right down to, you know, a, a sort of a rehash of World War One, where, you know, the Ukrainians were going to win and it was all going to be over in a matter of months and the Ukrainians have been on the verge of crushing Russia from the very beginning of the war and they're still there. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, think, it was I think like Sending all the boys off in 1914, yes, we'll be in, we'll be in Berlin by Christmas and home for the new year. Yeah. And you thought, I've heard this story before.
2: <laughs>
1: you know, and unfortunately, I think a lot of people went along with it or they didn't seem appalled by it. Well, um, the result is, that lots of Ukrainians have lost their lives. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, I'm not saying that it's a a morally wonderful thing for Putin to say, we're keeping the Donbass and we're keeping Sevastopol, and it's certainly not okay for him to say, well, I'm invading. Yeah, But you have to say, you have to put it in context of, we closed all the other diplomatic doors where he wanted Ukraine to be neutral and not part of NATO, not to have an aggressive Foreign power that, from the 1970s onwards, has been focused probably well, long before, that, been focused on destroying the Russian power, and that that takes no account of the fact that you know 2014 there were lots of ethnic Russians who said, "Well, we want to be separate from Ukraine." So there, there are complications. Yeah, and those people have been in Sebastopol and been in the Crimea and been in the Donbass for a long time, and. If some of them said, well, we, you know, we we don't want to be part of Ukraine, I wasn't there. Maybe that whole thing was made up, but I doubt the whole thing was made up. There
0: was plenty of it reported, even in such rags as The Guardian. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the problem, though, and, and, and I'm going to annoy you again, because I'm going to... Do it. Yeah, you do best. Because I'm going to talk about Israel and Palestine again. The media like, they're like a pol- polarizing attitudes of people, yeah. because... It's the ways that we live. We, we almost, we take that as guidance of what we should be doing. And I, I find it very hard to, not, I don't want to sort of say take a side, but to understand as far back as you can go. And, and the, the same argument is there, and you sort of said it, you know, who was here first? And it's like, well, how bloody many years do you want to go back?
1: And as also, and also, as as if that was the deciding factor. No, it's not. And and and, or, or, who was where first? Who who was nastiest first? Who's been the nastiest? Yeah. As if that then, uh, okay, well, we've sorted that out. Instead of saying, well, nothing's getting sorted. That's all tragedy here. Yeah. And what you want is not to blame people for the past, no. cleansing as that might feel, but to try and find a way of lessening the bloodshed in the future. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not going to get drawn into. These <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. No matter how hard you try, we can. I'm, not, I'm not. If you're feeling suicidal, we can do it in the future. No, I'm not. Let's just get back to relatively safe. The, the relatively safe minefield of Ukraine. Yeah, sure. there is an, uh, a more accurate um, analysis you can make. It's not one that gets you to an
0: easy answer, but at least you are dealing with something close to reality. You know. And the closer to reality you can get, the better chance you have of coming up with the prospect of of it finishing.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you want to understand what's going on in, on in Ukraine, you have to look at the fact that there is essentially, there were four or five economic political clans and who they have um, supported at any one given time has meant whether the West smiled on them or not. You know, yeah. two of the big economic clans have been felled by the West. Firtash, he was arrested in Austria. Mm -hmm. Um, And then uh, Kolomoisky, who was the backer of Zelensky, it's interesting that that Kolomoisky uh, was just a little while ago, suddenly put under house arrest in Ukraine. And Mm -hmm. they Nationalized his bank, which he owned Privat Bank, which was the largest private bank. Yeah, it was the largest bank in Ukraine. Yeah, uh, and it happened, you know, at around the time that the New York Times reported they had a, an article, and then they said, you know, that Kolomoisky has now said, who had been a supporter of rapprochement with the West, the New York Times said, you know, Kolomoisky has now decided it's time to give up on the West and rebuild relations with Russia. The thing about Kolomoysky. Is he was as far as I could see from the outside, and I'm willing to be corrected by you know Ukrainian scholars. Yeah, he seemed to me to be the one who was less concerned with I'm pro Russia or I'm pro West, and was the one who said I'm a, a Ukrainian nationalist, and I will be, I will s- switch sides depending on which one I think is going to be best for Ukraine at the time. But it's interesting that you know suddenly they nationalized his bank and they've accused him the way that. You always accuse anyone that you want rid of politically of some kind of economic malfeasance. You know, every really wealthy oligarch in China that they want to bring to the heel gets arrested and um, accused of all kinds of impropriety, which they may or may not have you know, been guilty of. And Kolomoisky is now under house arrest, and he's on trial in absentia in, I think, uh, Cyprus and in London. Um because um I was down at the Central Court, the High Court with oh, um right. Ranjan, um who maybe we'll get on one day. And we, we were down there just listening in on, on the the court case. Yeah. Where they're arguing about did he siphon off this many millions or this many hundreds of millions or this many billions. But it's interesting that what you see is l- leaders and their their oligarch supporters mm-hmm. being moved around by on the one side Russia and on the other the, the Americans or the Europeans. And the Americans and the Europeans don't always see eye to eye. I mean the British have such have had such deep connections with Russian gas. You know, the Tory party, uh, was it Lord Risley and Lord Oxford, yeah. massively closely tied into Firtash and um they were on the board of the largest private gas company in the Ukraine. Yeah. So you have to des- to delve to that kind of detail if you understand who's doing what to whom and
0: for what reasons. Yeah. And it's not the the idiot, the story we're being fed. And how did the um, the cold case go? Oh, it'll drag on forever.
1: I mean right. It it made me think of Dickens' novel where they all go to to court, and at, at the end of the court case, there is no money left because the lawyers have used it all. Um, <laughs> But it, it seems to me a sign that the West is signalling to Zelensky that you will have to knuckle under if we decide that the best way out of this is to come to a, a diplomatic accommodation with Russia and say, Okay, you maybe they'll say you get to keep the Crimea and the donbass or maybe they'll say you get to keep sevastopol but not the whole of the crimea or maybe they'll say you don't get to keep that but you get to keep the donbass i mean who knows yeah but i think i think this the fact that senior officials have floated the kite of maybe we need to do a deal with russia of course they were shouted down but that's how you do it yeah you fly it i think it gets reported someone says oh no they misspoke or no but they get handsomely paid for misspe- misspeaking. Someone has to fly the guy. Yeah. And they do. Um, and the fact that they decided to take up Kolomoisky. Fertash went years ago um, because the Americans didn't like him, because he supported the the leader of Ukraine, which ousted man, the, the Americans, him leader. Yeah. And Kolomoisky has been a more... It hasn't been clear who he supported. Um, yeah. But the fact that they've now decided to have a go at him and... Um, I think it's a, a clear message to Zelensky. Zelensky's going to have to rein in his own nationalists. Or, and if he can't, he'll get thrown under the bus, I think. Because Ukraine's not going to win this war. Um, and all of the stuff about how they've been on the cusp of winning it for months, surely by now people realise that that was mostly just bollocks. In yeah, no. by the usual um, purveyors
0: of... Me hold the official
1: narrative bollocks people like the guardian
2: yeah,
0: yeah yeah no i've been reading on things like T, trt um the turkish one and al jazeera and, mm-hmm. um but also in your favorite paper the guardian yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> talking about how russia is still overextended but i don't know I, 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 I don't think you can quite say he's not going to win i think there's a few other things that might
1: but... Well, it depends. Surely, it depends on how much, how many more billions the American taxpayer is willing to fork out. Yeah. that's that's already starting to get caught up in the presidential election. What was it? Yeah. Um, Tucker Carlson, you know, who yeah. doesn't like Trump, but he is is right wing. Uh, he said, "Oh, so the, the every city in America is worse off than it used to be. There's crime. There's you know deterioration. There's public services." And you're still worried about ukraine not getting enough money yeah so it's a clear sign that yeah i mean if a, if the american taxpayer can be induced to keep sending vast amounts of of um, munitions and help then maybe they will win but i i think it's it looks like it's becoming a world war one kind of stalemate and then you're into the I think what's going on is there's a certain group within the Pentagon and within the, you know, the, the foreign office essentially running the line that we don't have to win this militarily, we just have to grind Russia down and it collapses from within which was part of the argument they used during the Cold War. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd just outspend them.
0: Yes, yeah. I, I I can see the there's I mean that's one of the options is that something happens within Russia that that they hope the thing and that's been my hope for a long time. But just to um dispel I suppose a, a theory that I that I'm slightly worried about is is the connections that um Russia has with Iran. Oh no,
1: no, you're heading back to Gaza, aren't you? I can feel it now. <laughs> I'm
0: going to have to You're a... determined to get us shot by somebody. No, no, no. I'm, I'm sort of saying, so with the connections that that are clear between Iran and Russia and North Korea, um, the feels as if what's happened in Israel seems to be, right, the Americans have sent their big aircraft carrier and, and multi- multiple support vessels along with that little show of strength. Does kind of feels that 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 would be good for Russia and Putin uh in terms of the American eyes slightly being taken off, and maybe um that will hit the financial argument that that you were su- suggesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. I mean, That's, do us throw China into that equation as well? I mean, it's a strengthening of of that pact, isn't it? The BRICS, is it? So you, <laughs> Russia, yes, around. but but. Okay,
1: like I said, you're determined to get a shot by someone. Okay, look, the, the way I would see that is there's a world of difference between saying this could help Russia. That doesn't mean they or Iran are in any way um, engineering it. You know, I don't think you should imagine the big hand coming out of Iran and strings going down into Gaza. I don't think it's that simple. I, I agree with you that. The Russian Foreign Service might look at this and go, okay, this is quite nice. Because, I mean, one of the things is, as far as I know, uh, and I read this a little while ago, that, you know, Israel's Iron Dome defense, the the anti-missile missile missile thing, as far as I know, they are low on supplies for the Iron Dome. Yeah. Um, And I think certain parts of it, maybe important parts of it, have to be supplied by America. Yeah. So that would mean that America would have to start pumping more money into there because I think Hamas still have quite a lot of uh, missiles left and God forbid that Mm -hmm. Hezbollah got involved. There's the spectre of even inaccurate not very um, deadly missiles could overwhelm the the Israeli uh, missile defense, and then, yeah, America would get involved, and that would be an even greater drain, and certainly someone like Trump would say, why are we constantly fighting all these wars at the taxpayer's expense? Yeah. So, yeah, in that sense, but but I don't think that means that in a smoky room somewhere in the Kremlin, Putin or anyone else has been engineering this, nor... Nor any mad
0: mullah in Iran. Um, uh, I wouldn't say engineering it. I just uh, I, I, I feel as if there is a the, the there's tentacles there.
1: Well, what do you mean by ten I mean it, 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 they can see that it's going to play into their interests. I don't necessarily that think that that means that they're actively doing something. I mean, maybe they are. I mean, it's just so complicated because yeah. you know, okay, you can see that you can make an argument for. There being an interest from those countries, but similarly, you can make an interest from an argument that there would be massive interest for
0: all of the other um, Middle East Arab nations who really don't want the burden. No, no, they, they they don't. And and you were talking about the Chinese involvement in Qatar.
1: Yeah, I mean that that, that that's a, a a clear example of how you know your your tentacles idea how far it stretches. You know. For a long time, Qatar was a was a, a country where had adverts on the television and fly Qatari Airways and, yeah, yeah. and have have global sporting events over here, and everyone's happy. Well, and they, not everyone. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, but suddenly, suddenly, uh, Saudi says Qatar is a is a rogue state, and they seal their border and they they uh, try to cut them off. And. It was reported everywhere, and I don't remember anyone saying, wait a minute, how did that happen? One minute they're a friendly nation, the next minute they're a rogue state. What happened? And what I'd noticed, because I was interested for other reasons, but even if someone hadn't been following like who I was, 10 minutes on the search engine would have found that a few months before this sudden surprising declaration by the Saudis, the thing what had happened is... Qatar had signed a, an agreement for, I think it was 30 billion, to set up in Qatar a clearing bank where China and anyone else could buy and sell gas, not in dollars, <laughs> but in yeah. yuan. Right, right. And the coincidence seems to me to be stark, because obviously, the American economy really does pivot on... Everyone needing dollars to buy oil and gas. Yeah. that's how America can run such massive debt because, regardless of how much debt they've got, everyone wants dollars because they need to settle so much international trade. Yeah, yeah. And so you know, Qatar and China make make this announcement, and suddenly, the world, the sky falls in on Qatar. And I don't, I th- I don't know if that clearing bank is still there. Um, I and that also it. helped Russia as well, didn't it? so well, oh, yes uh, um oil. in the sense that a lot of these nations want to stop using the dollar as yes. the settlement currency i mean it's still the the reserve you know the, the the world reserve currency but it's been quite clear for a long time that there's been a, a little club of nations notably russia china and iran have been going getting a lots of pieces um, in place since about 2010, maybe before, um, which included buying lots of bullion and talking amongst themselves, trading directly between their currencies to avoid the dollar. And there was the strong suspicion that they were aiming to either set up a petro yuan in, rel- right. in competition to the
0: petrodollar or to create some new settlement currency. So this, so, this is part of the BRICS, um, so including Brazil and South Africa.
1: I don't remember whether Brazil and South Africa were involved in this this sort of yeah. series of negotiations that was going on about settling
0: trade. It was it was a whole series of bilateral agreements between yeah. Russia and right. Iran. Um But I think I think that the, the big thing for me is is as you step back on this and the, the step back from the and see the wider picture, you are seeing yeah. these tentacles and, and, and maybe and I don't know whether I have no answer, but maybe this is pointing to something bigger that's happening overall. That that that's kind of I suppose my gut feeling.
1: Well, I mean, I would agree that some at least one of the bigger things, I mean, obviously the big thing is the the jostling for power between China and the Yuan and America and the dollar. Yeah. But certainly it's been you know, as those clips we played earlier show, it's been a long standing foreign policy obsession of of America, to destroy the global power and influence of Russia, first when they were the Soviets, now that they're Russia. and so that's constantly going on. Yeah. Um, and again, as those clips showed, they were a focus of that was they saw Russia undermining American hegemony in Europe, separating um, America's European allies from America by using the fact that, that Germany, Austria, and lots of other countries were becoming reliant on Russian gas, which from the Russian point of view was just free trade, and from the American point of view was foreign policy, and so they waged economic warfare. So in that sense, sure, of course there are bigger things going on, and that's part of what you need to keep your eye on if you want to understand any of this. Instead of just going... Putin's a horrible man who wants to take over the world and invade everywhere. And the Americans and the Europeans are just lovely people who care about human rights. Well, wouldn't I mean, like... if, if you if you go down that path, then you're a
0: class A one moral. Yeah, no, but there's plenty of them, and they're showing their faces more and more these days. Um, but just of uh, interest, would you like me to throw in uh, Yemen and Eritrea as well while we're in? No,
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you have no no regard for your personal safety I do um, <laughs> and you know if you really want to discuss all of these because you know the whole Gaza in Middle East is just so much thornier and more oh. ingrown than even Ukraine then we can at a later date but yeah that's not you it know, all at once we're we'll get in enough trouble for this David's a drunk well I mean you know I, yeah we'll talk again if I'm still here
0: Thanks for that, David. Yeah, mate. And thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed that, then yes, ask some questions. Enter into the debate. We are on Substack. David Malone, Hyperland. And wherever you receive your podcasts, we would both be delighted if you could leave a review. Thanks for listening. Cheers for now.